the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Discipline can bring us to a greater place of purity and holiness in our lives and ultimately produce more fruitfulness. God wants us to deal with sin. God wants us to come clean with Him. He is holy and He calls us to holiness. And sometimes He will discipline us to bring us to a place of greater holiness in our lives. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. The psalmist makes a startling statement in Psalm 119. He says he's grateful that God has allowed affliction in his life because God has used affliction to reveal the nature and heart of God to him as he sought God in the scriptures. Most of us hate suffering so much that we wouldn't be able to thank God for it. But difficulty and suffering can be channels through which God reveals more of Himself. In today's message, Pastor Gary will lead us to dive into the Bible when difficulties arise in our lives. God wants to speak to us, even in afflictions. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, with part two of today's message, The Blessings and Benefits of the Bible. Why does God discipline us? What are the reasons that sometimes, just using the word that the psalmist uses, why is it sometimes God afflicts us? Why is it sometimes He disciplines us? Why is it sometimes that that He will lean into us from time to time? Well, I'd like you to, to leave this passage here. We'll come back to Psalm 119, but go to your New Testament, hang a right, and go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Because I, I want to read a, a short section in Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer of Hebrews really focuses in on this whole idea of discipline. Why does God discipline us? What are the reasons behind sometimes the hardships that we face that come from his hand? And, and there are some reasons here that I, that I want to point out. I'm just going to draw out four really briefly reasons why God disciplines us. From Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. So Hebrews 12, jumping right in the middle of verse 6, it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. 
Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So, real quickly, four reasons why God disciplines us. God's discipline means, number one, that God loves you. I mean, that's, that's what we read at the beginning of the section I just read in, in, in verse 6. The Lord disciplines those he loves. So, the reason that God disciplines you and me is because he loves us enough that he's never content to allow us to remain as we are, especially when we are in sin and rebellion against him. He will discipline us. He will spank us in different ways. Okay? I know when you were growing up and your parents spanked you and they said, I'm just doing this because I love you. I know you question that and you're like, yeah, whatever. But it really is true if they do it in a right way, in a gentle way, not an abusive way. And it and, and certainly is true with God. That the reason why he disciplines us is because he loves us. And I can tell you, I know God loves me. <laughs> you know what I'm can, you, can you feel that sometimes? You're like, oh, then God must really love me. I feel like he's got me on a choke chain sometimes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or one of those electronic dog collars from now and again. Just like, okay, Lord, I get the message. But that's because God loves us. And he loves us so much that he will discipline us. He will bring correction into our lives. And it is not comfortable. The writer of Hebrews says that. He says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, only painful. It can be very painful when God is trying to get your attention. It can be very painful. But he disciplines us because he loves us. The pain that God afflicts is out of love for the ones he accepts. Let me say it again. The pain that God afflicts is out of love for the ones he accepts. Which leads us to point number two from Hebrews chapter 12, is that God accepts you as his children. That's another reason that he disciplines you and me, because it, it's an indication that he accepts us as his children. Between verses 6 and 8 of Hebrews 12, the word son is mentioned six times, and it's, it's just a familial name, so daughter, son, Six times, children mentioned one time, father mentioned four times. The whole concept is God is our father, we are his children, and any good, loving parent will from time to time, in a right way, discipline his or her children. The most unloving thing for a parent to do is to never discipline their kids and to just to let them run wild and, and to get in all kinds of trouble. Those people will grow up to be criminals in our society. I'm, I, no exaggeration. Loving, compassionate discipline is actually a good thing in the life of a child. And as our Father in heaven disciplines us, it is an indication that we belong to Him. Okay? You don't discipline other people's kids. You discipline your own kids. So the fact that we get disciplined by God means that He's making a statement, You are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. That's why I discipline you. None of us goes around. I haven't disciplined other people's kids. Just my own. Well, except one time, actually. <laughs> actually, now that I think about it. Now, I, now this, this isn't anything that I would recommend, but it's one of those moments. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you're in a public situation and you're just like, what in the world? Why are those kids allowed to get away with this? 
And so the situation for me, this is years ago, I've, I've mentioned this story before, but I was at, I was at Walmart and, and I was looking, yeah, that, that enough is enough to, to make you want to discipline somebody. But any, but I'm at Walmart and I'm just, you know, I'm looking for something, whatever it is, and I can hear in the aisle across from me, this kid, I don't know how old this child was, just yelling at his mom, saying, you're stupid. You are stupid. I, I heard him. He wanted some toy or something that was on the shelf. And she said, no. And he kept saying, you're stupid. Okay, and I'm, I'm on the other side of the, of, the, of the aisle. You know, I'm peering through like all the <laughs> shelving. I'm like looking through the shelving like, what is going on over there? And he just kept saying it. You're stupid. You're stupid. You need to buy this for me. You're stupid. She kept saying, no. She's very gentle, a little too passive in my opinion. And then she, she walked around to my aisle now, and, and the child was left still on the other side, having his own little temper tantrum, yelling over, over the shelving, you're stupid. So now she's on, the mom is on my side now, and she's like looking for her items. So I just sneak to the other aisle where her son was. And I just, hey, come here for a second. And I just kind of got down like this. Like, Don't you ever talk to your mom like that again. And I walked away. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. Now, I, I didn't touch the child. I would never touch the child. But I, but I did just, I kind of gave it to him. And his eyes were like big as dinner plates. And, he, and then I was like, Jesus loves you. And I walked away. And, uh, but, but normally speaking, no, Normally speaking, because I'm not normal as only a setting on the washer. I'm not that, right? But normally speaking, you, you only discipline your own kids. And so when God disciplines us, it's a statement to us. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I can't let you get by with that. When you're walking in sin or rebellion to me, I can't let you get by with that. So he accepts us as his sons and daughters. Number three, God's discipline means that he wants to teach you something. The very word discipline in, in Hebrews 12, in, in the original Greek language, the word discipline is paiduo, uh, and paiduo means to train, to teach, to instruct, or to educate. So the very fact that God disciplines us, just the meaning of the word is that we have something to learn. There is some lesson that he's trying to teach us, so learn it. Because I have found the quicker I learn it, then the easier it goes for me. The, the, the longer it takes for me to learn it, the more God's discipline is felt. And then finally, number four, just on the subject of discipline, is God wants you to be more holy and fruitful. Because that also is mentioned there in Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So you hear the holiness aspect and you hear the harvest aspect. But the harvest will not come until you get the holiness part. The only word in the Bible, in all of the Bible, that is used in triplets to describe God is holy. You can say a lot of things about the character and nature of God, but the one word that is only repeated as triplets in the Bible is the word holy. There are two scenes in Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4. Both scenes are when the angels are around the throne of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim are there, these winged angelic creatures, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. 
And in Revelation 4, John sees a similar scene. He sees the throne of God. He sees angelic creatures around the throne. And he tells us in Revelation 4, 8, that day and night, they never stop proclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So if that is the word that is used in triplets to describe God, guess what? Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, 1 Peter 1, verse 16, all say the same thing. God speaking through his word, be holy because I am holy. And discipline can bring us to a greater place of purity and holiness in our lives and ultimately produce more fruitfulness. God wants us to deal with sin. God wants us to come clean with him. He is holy and he calls us to holiness. And sometimes he will discipline us to bring us to a place of greater holiness in our lives. And so back here in Psalm 119, the psalmist understands all this related to the discipline of God. And what he basically says is, in summary of this section, as I meditate on your precepts, Lord, as I understood your statutes, I realized that you discipline with love, you correct with compassion, and I am comforted by this in my life. So, it reminds me of God's unfailing love and compassion when he disciplines me. The last section we'll look at for today is the section starting in verse 81, back here in Psalm 119. Verse 81, the Hebrew letter is kaf, K-A-P-H. Sounds like, you know, when someone is sick and they cough. So that's, that's how you pronounce that Hebrew letter, kaf. Verse 81, the psalmist writes, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Now, in this section here, the psalmist presents with a need, and it is a desperate one. People are trying to kill him. Now, again, nobody knows for sure who wrote Psalm 119. There's no byline to it. A lot of Bible scholars believe it was probably David. It may very well have been. He certainly was someone who others tried to kill, often starting with Saul and then the perennial enemies of the Israelites were always trying to kill David. Well, whether it's David or not, whoever's writing this is saying, my life was in jeopardy. He said at the end of verse 86, for men persecute me without cause. In verse 87, they almost wiped me from the earth. In verse 88, preserve my life according to your love. So it's clear that his life is hanging in the balance. There are people who are after him. He was almost wiped off from the earth. And it has taken such a toll on him, as I'm sure we could imagine. I mean, if somebody's trying to kill you and you're running for your life and you're constantly on the run because somebody's trying to take your life, it could be pretty exasperating. And he, and he describes what he feels like 
using the simile here in verse 83. Notice in verse 83, some kind of interesting language. He says, I am like a wineskin in the smoke. What does that mean? He says, I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. Well, in those ancient times, they would skin animals and then stitch up the animal hides so that the interior of it could be used like a, like a bottle, like a vessel. And so they would use animal hides to serve as a jar for wine or water or, or any kind of, 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 of liquid. And so a wineskin is this reference to an animal hide that is turned into a wine jar. And a lot of times what they would do in those ancient days is they just hang their wineskins on like a branch of a tree or if they'd go inside their tent, they'd hang it up somewhere on, uh, on the top of their tent. And a lot of times because of open campfires, either for warmth or to cook by, if they hung their wineskins too close to the fire, the smoke would come up and then the smoke would damage the wineskins. They would become all covered with soot. They would dry out. They would crack. They would sometimes break and they would ultimately become useless. So they always tried to avoid hanging their wineskins anywhere near the smoke of the fire. The psalmist is using that to describe how he feels. He's like, he says, I'm like a wineskin in the smoke. I, I feel dry. I, I feel useless. I just, I have, I don't understand any purpose. I just feel like a wineskin in the smoke. And he's saying all this because he's being pursued by his enemies. But here's the key to this section as well. He's also complaining in a sense that God's not doing anything about it. Because he asks questions in verse 82. When will you comfort me? And then in verse 84. When will you punish my persecutors? Where are you, God? I, I feel dry. I feel worn out. I feel useless like a wineskin in the smoke. There are people trying to kill me. Where are you? Not a show of hands, but have you ever felt like God didn't show up on time for you? Probably in the course of your life, you'll feel that a time or two. When you wanted something sooner than God did, or you wanted it done a certain way than what God determined to do it. And so the psalmist is wrestling with this. He's like, I, I feel worn out. I feel dry. I feel useless. When are you going to show up, Lord? When are you going to comfort me? When are you going to deal with the persecutors of my life? But in all of that wrestling with all of this, with God and, and his timing and all of this, notice what he does here. He turns to Scripture. And in verse 81, he says... But I have put my hope in your word. But I have put my hope in your word. Verse 87, very similar. But I have not forsaken your precepts. I got, I got people who are persecuting me, trying to kill me. I'm wanting you to comfort me, Lord. I'm wanting you to deal with them. I don't know when you're going to show up, but I'll turn to your word. I'll read your precepts. I'll take to heart your statutes. Why? Because it's point number 11 on our list. It teaches me to wait on God's perfect timing. When I read the Bible, it helps to recalibrate my life. You know what I mean by that? Generally speaking, I have wanted God to work faster than what He normally does. Generally speaking, when you look back on your life, there are times that I have felt like I wish God had done this, wish God had done that, wish God had done the other, faster than what I would have preferred. Now, 
having come through it, looking back, I can see that God's timing was right. But that wrestling match is kind of a regular, normal thing that Christians will feel. That we want God to do something quicker than what we end up finding that he sometimes does. And so when I read the Bible, what happens is I find that in my soul, reading the Bible just helps to recalibrate my life so I'm more in step with God's timing, and it just slows me down. It slows me down. We are in a culture that is so fast-paced, and we're so used to getting things instantly and now that then we can tend to get frustrated with God because he doesn't perform at our beck and call. When you read the Bible, it helps to recalibrate your life so that you're more in step with the timing of God. I, I don't know how many of you, this is years ago, SNL had this character called Nadine, and I don't, she's, like, she's like Cajun or something from New Orleans, and she worked at like department stores or a burger joint, and everybody would come in, and they were always at a rush, and she'd be, simmer down now, simmer down. And sometimes the Lord speaks to me in like a Cajun voice like that. I, I can just hear, I can hear, simmer down now, Gary. Simmer down. Simmer down now. Because I can, I can just kind of want to be ahead of him. But listen, the Bible never once gives a verse to exhort us to hurry. But the Bible is replete with example after example of verses that tell us to wait. Just wait. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 130, 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. On and on it goes. Now, I know because I, I can heal, hear the, the wheels turning in some of your brains. And some of you would say to me, and some of you have said to me, but how long do I have to wait? I've been waiting a long, long time. And why is it that I'm still waiting? I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you know, I, I can't answer that in the life of anybody, uh, even my own. How long do we have to wait sometimes for God to answer that prayer or for God to do what we're hoping? How long do we have to wait? I, I don't know. But I would encourage you to rest in this. When I look back on my life, at the different times that I wished God had done this, wished God had done that, I can confidently say that in all the many ways God did respond, when he responded, his timing was always perfect. God always shows up right on time. We have to yield to our concept of what timeliness is. And we have to trust the one that holds time in his hands. We'll do things at just the right time. And when I get into Scripture and when I read, it helps to recalibrate my life, slow things down, so I'm more in step with the timing of God. 
So these three things today, folks. Number one, is uh, it's number nine on the list. It is a rich source of knowledge and good judgment. Number 10 on the list, it reminds me of God's unfailing love and compassion when he disciplines me. And number 11, it teaches me to wait on God's perfect timing. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.